Hello, friends. I hope you're enjoying this journey with me about the Enneagram. Again, sorry for the audio quality of my um, thoughts from a year ago. Those were taken on Instagram before I was realizing I should have been recording it on my fancy microphone on my Audacity. But thanks for bearing with me. Today, we will tackle the second half of the character types. And again, if you would like to see the video skits that go along with it, you can check them out on Ashley Rescott on YouTube or rescottcreative.com, my website. And I would love to hear what your reactions are to the Enneagram. Have you used it in your art as a musician or as a writer? And if you want to share what type you are or think you are, and how much of a role does that play in your identity? Again, I think it's always one of those things you, you take it with a grain of salt, take what's good from it, and leave the rest. So let me know on Facebook or Instagram. Hi, I am going out of order a little bit, and I'm going to tackle the Enneagram 7 right now. So I realized after listening to this chapter on the audiobook that I need more 7s in my life, the enthusiasts. These are the optimists uh, of our world that just love life, and they live it to the fullest, and they look for the silver linings, and the glass is half full. So for those of us who tend to be like, oh, glass is half empty, <laughs> um, these are the people that we need to remind us of, of the positives in our lives. And we especially need them now while people struggle a little bit more with that to be able to look for that silver lining. However, I do think this past year has been really tough on the enthusiasts because they thrive on new experiences and they want constant variety. And unfortunately, when your day is looking the same each day as it has been for a lot of the globe for most of this year, that can be really challenging. And I personally feel like we've been a little bit hard on these people during this time or judgmental when this is part of their nature. They, they need these experiences. They need to be able to connect. And so I think it's important that we still validate that feeling for them. Uh, in terms of thinking about the sevens, I love that the chapter focused a lot on travel. And I know I said my dad was a nine, but definitely I could see a lot of the positive aspects of the seven in my father growing up because he planned the most amazing trips. So he would spend months and months planning exactly where we would go, exactly where we would visit, and he would cram what normal people would have had for like several days worth of activities into one day. Uh, so my first time to Europe, I remember um, I actually went with my my mother, but it was stereotypical of my dad as well that we would just cram in way more into even a half day while everyone else is sitting at the cafe for two hours. We were like hiking up and down, you know, Sacré-Cœur and all sorts of different um, places uh, throughout France and Italy. So I think that's an amazing part of their personality. They can plan those trips down to a T and they know different parts of the world way better than the average person. And I also thought it was fascinating setting their interest in the planning stage is just as important or if not more important than the actual trip. And that was so true for me growing up. I remember we would look forward to these trips for months on end and then you'd go on the trip, and of course it was, you know, over the moon exciting, but part of the, the joy had been the actual 
planning of the of the trip. So this is partly why I a big reason why I moved to France after college because my dad had instilled in me this love of travel and I wanted to experience, you know, different places and different cultures and different people and uh, le joie de vivre, the joy of life. And as a person who tends to be more on the pessimistic side, um, it really was was good for me to kind of tap into that idea of the, the positives. So now on the negative side of sevens, um, some of them can be, I guess they're their deadly sin or whatever was um, gluttony. So they can go to extremes and not just in a eating way, but just going to extremes on a lot of different indulgences. So they just have to make sure they kind of rein that back in a little bit. And uh, the other thing was that they have to be able to work on commitment, whether it's to a person or a project. And I think as artists or musicians, we see that a lot where we're trying to decide, oh, what's the next piece I want to perform? Or what's the next book idea that I want to write? And we get so many ideas and kind of that shiny object syndrome of, ooh, what's the next great thing? But we actually have to have the discipline to follow through with what are the best ones for us right now, even though there might be a lot of good ideas. What's the best piece to work on right now? What's the best story or book to write at this moment? Be able to finish that and then move on to the next one. So that's kind of my take on the sevens. And like I said, I feel like I need to meet more sevens, have more sevens in my life because their contagious optimism is a wonderful trait. Hello, fellow artists. Today, let's talk a little bit about the number six Enneagram, the loyalist. This one tends to be the, the personality type, the most plagued by anxiety. And as artists, musicians, writers, we know that very well often. So let's talk a little bit about performance anxiety. It can take uh, the form in many different ways, and I'm by no means an expert on it, but for some people, they completely shut down when they start to feel anxious about performing, and they just can't even do it, or they start to cry. Other people, like me, I do get anxious, and I get that flood of cortisol when I get on stage, especially if it's a harder song, but I also try to harness that to make it a more exciting performance, and so... Uh, like I said before, I have a three wing. So a lot of my excitement for performing probably comes from those, those feelings. And I use it to make it a really, um, riveting experience, hopefully for the audience and definitely for me. However, the, the, the backside of it is that after the, the concert, I have to do basically nothing because I, it takes me so long to kind of recover from that flood of emotion and that flood of, of cortisol. And so, yes, I just have to know that after a concert, I need to have plenty of time to recover. I also can take a toll on your body. So, unfortunately, chronic tension, which is something I've struggled with a lot as a performer, needs to be addressed. So, when you're performing, think about the breathing. Think about if you're a mom and you've been through Lamaze, think about that. There's a lot of different musicians who go into much more detail than me and are much more of experts in this field, but thinking about that breathing to be able to relax your muscles, to make it easier to perform. Because even if mentally you feel like you can push through, but from, in my case, it's frequently physically, my body eventually will start to shut down because of so much tension. So I have to think about relaxing those muscles. You can also think about your diet right before you play, try to avoid caffeine. Sometimes things like bananas can kind of be good to help calm you down a little bit. Also think about who is somebody who makes you calmer. Maybe don't hang out with your <laughs> most high-strung friend or family member right before a big performance. 
pick somebody that's more relaxed that you feel comfortable with and hang out with them right before you kind of have a high pressure situation so that you're feeling your best for the performance. Now, as teachers, I also think this is a very important thing to discuss because we want to encourage our students to be the best that they can be while also helping them to you know, improve, but also not becoming too stressed out about their performance and not developing chronic performance anxiety. So when I am giving them suggestions or, or uh, feedback on their playing, I usually try to infuse some positive reinforcement, positive comments, and then address the uh, constructive criticism. So that way they don't feel like I just lit into them with no you know, no acknowledgement of what they did do well, but if I also only give them positive feedback and no negative uh, feedback, then they may just think they did great and they don't ever improve. So striking that balance as music teachers is critical for our young students so that they learn to be the best they can be while also not being plagued by performance anxiety. I think it also can apply to other art forms as well as a writer. I think sometimes we don't always want to put our, our writing out there because we're scared of what other people will say and we're afraid of the critics, which frankly does happen. There are plenty of critics out there and they will write reviews or leave negative comments on your, your artwork. If you're adamant about getting it out there, that will be inevitable. And so you have to develop a little bit of a thick skin in order to be a creative and to put your writing, your art, or your music out there to the world. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but you do have to realize that you will need to contextualize um, the negative feedback. Now, in terms of the positives of the loyalist personality, these people are amazing. Um, I identify pretty strongly as a loyalist. Again, it, it may not mean my very top, but it's in my top three. And because I've struggled with anxiety, but also because of the, the, the loyalty to family or the loyalty to friends um, can be a very strong drive that they want security. They want those people that are the closest to them to be around them all the time. And I definitely feel that way. I always love to have my family or my close-knit group of friends with me. Um, and that's where I draw some of my greatest strengths is from that and they can be some of the best um, friends to have because they're not the ones that are likely to abandon you. So anyway, I hope that this uh, description of the loyalist and the type six has been helpful. It's definitely one of the ones closest to my heart and I have great um, love for other fellow sixes and I hope that I'll see you again next time. Thanks. Hello everyone. Today we're talking about the investigator, Enneagram number five. And as many of you probably have figured out by now, I am not actually an engineer. I am a musician writer, but I have the privilege of being married to an investigator. He is an amazing engineer that has a PhD and also a hockey referee. And he's lived in Greece, Thailand, and uh, Switzerland, in addition to the Midwest, here in the States. So in the book, it talks about how these investigators, they delve into so many different areas of research, and they live in their minds. It's absolutely fascinating um, to, to watch how his mind works, where you just, these number five types, they delve into different categories throughout the course of their, their lives, and they want to know as much as they can about 
as many topics as they can. So, for example, my husband already had classical music in his car when I met him, even though he's not a musician. And he even had sound recording equipment when I met him. And he's, again, not um, a musician, but was fascinated by that. And I think it's just so cool to see how his mind works, that he wants to see how everything fits together and taking things apart and putting it back together. And I just have so much respect for these these investigators. Now, when I was listening to the chapter, there were certain parts so that I did identify with as, um, you know, as a musician and writer. I do like to investigate topics that are within kind of my ballpark, within my realm. So I feel like my brain, I'm always having to think about something. I'm kind of the perpetual student. I always like to be learning. So whether it's recently I decided to get a viola and wanted to figure out how that worked or I am trying to delve into story theory for my books and learning all about the different beats that you need to have to make a good story. And the uh, road back to you also talked about how sometimes you have different parts of your life as you know these investigators where you've focused on different things. And that definitely rang true for me. I got an undergraduate degree in music, but I also minored in English and French. I spent the following year living in Paris teaching English in a suburb and I came back and got a master's degree in French literature. So again, I was kind of delving into different topics. Uh, I've taught French at the collegiate level, at the baby level. I've even taught Spanish a few times, um, even though I wouldn't say I'm proficient, but I think it's fascinating. So I totally identified with that idea of being the lifelong learner, delving into different, different subjects. So I have the utmost respect for fives. I think they're fascinating. They're the Einsteins of our world, and we need more of them. I hope you guys enjoyed these uh, Enneagram types, and next time we will delve into the Enneagram 4, the creative, which I know applies to a lot of musicians and writers.